0: If you guys want to open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8, that's be that'll be the first passage we look at <clears throat> this morning. Oh, sorry. This afternoon. 12:02. <laughs> I caught myself too late. Um, I I have always had trouble like being one of those and I don't mean this disparagingly, but I mean like disparaging for me, one of those rejoicing Christians. Right. I mean, if you've been a Christian long enough, and if you're like me, you know that there's something about those Christians that rejoice, as opposed to me. Right. Me. I'm. You know, the world is bad, and you know sometimes Christians are bad. And then I look at myself in the mirror, and sometimes I'm bad. And and those things are hard. Right. They 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 keep me from rejoicing. Um, I think each of us we have our own reason. If we're not rejoicing constantly, or we have trouble rejoicing, I think we have each our own struggles um you know for me it's because i'm I'm a judgmental person uh you know if if you're not doing what i think you should be doing then i, I have a hard time rejoicing i mean it's my personality right um the the things that make me the most upset are when i know of people who aren't doing what i think they ought to be doing doesn't matter you know, if they're close to me or far from me, or if they're Christians or not. That's just, that's like me, that's what keeps me from rejoicing. You probably have your own thing, right, that, that keeps you from rejoicing. Some, some people are really emotionally distraught over the evil in the world. Well, you know, just the fact of evil being in the world um, doesn't bother me, but when I see an individual who's not doing what they ought to be, then that bothers me, right? So some people kind of operate on the higher, you know, a higher plane than I do, maybe. Um, for you it may be like just you know personal relationships right if, if every single thing isn't exactly right in every relationship in your life you have a hard time rejoicing because you're focused on that one thing or the one person where it's not working out right and things are tense or whatever Well, again that, like, that's not me I can't, I can't identify with that but I know that that is some people um, because for me it's like I said I don't have to know somebody um, I just have to know somebody isn't doing what they ought to do and I want to, you know, I want to police it. I want to fix it. Go, right, and, and then when everybody I know of is doing what they ought to be, then I can start rejoicing. Well, that's that's not what we see in Scripture. Um, I want to look at three instances in the Old Testament first, some examples of rejoicing that I find um, in some way remarkable, and I, I'm hoping we can pull some uh, some principles out of the rejoicing that was there, um, that we can use in our lives to be more joyful people. Uh, some of the songs that we sang this morning were were pointed to that and if you think, if you can think about some of the things that we sang, what Jesus has done for you, um, where he's transported you or transplanted you from into, as far as kingdoms, right, we don't have a, a, a good reason not to rejoice doesn't matter what's going on around us or if people are doing what they ought to do or not. Uh, Jesus did beyond what he ought to do. Uh, if he did what he ought to do, right, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. Um, so we're not going to talk about ought. Uh, we're going to talk about rejoicing because of what he did. So let's look in 1 Kings chapter 8. It's almost, the, well, it may be the very end of the chapter, verses 62 to 66. This is a dedication of the temple. Um, So Solomon, you know, had this charge from David and and from God, really, to to build the temple. David wanted to build it, and God said, no, uh, you're a man of bloodshed. I don't want you building my temple. Your son's going to build it. So David David had the plans revealed to him by God. Uh, we, We read about that. He gives those plans to Solomon. David, in the end of his life, is saving up gold and iron and bronze and whatever he could get his hands on, right? All of these metal, precious metals and sometimes not even precious metals uh, to be used and hand that over to Solomon. Well, here we have the dedication. 1 Kings 8, beginning in verse 62. Now the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered for the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the sons of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord because there he offered the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat of the peace offerings for the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat of the peace offerings. So Solomon observed the feast at that time and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God for seven days and seven more days, even fourteen days. On the eighth day he sent the people away and they blessed the king. Then they went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people." I tried to like imagine what 22,000 oxen would look like and I I can't. I mean it's it's, it's not going to happen. Um, or 120,000 sheep, you know, whatever. Uh, whatever. What I do want to point out here is that this is a peace offering, and if you guys um, remember, there are different types of offerings um, that you had to make to have a, a relationship with God under the law. There were sin offerings and guilt offerings, and there were the offerings that were made up front to sort of... Uh, close the gap isn't the right term, but basically... Atone for the sins that separate you from God. You you can't sit down and have a meal with God. Let me just put it that way, right? Under the law, you can't just say I'm going to sit down and have a meal with God. You have to go make sin offerings and burnt offerings and guilt offerings before you can have this peace offering, right? The peace offering was something that was a meal that was shared. That's that's your meal with God. You're sitting down together at a table and you're having this meal with God. That's what the peace offering was about, and many people shared in that. I mean, that's that's why I think the number of the animals is so massive, is everyone in Jerusalem and the surrounding area that was there, they were participating in this. They were, they were eating this meal, and they were, well, it says, they were, in the end of verse 66, um, they, were, they were joyful and glad of heart for the goodness that the Lord had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. So they were rejoicing. But it's an event, right? Um this kind of offering happened more often than just here at the, at the dedication of the temple. But this is, a, this is a particular event. And then they went home happy and the event ended. Right? On the eighth day they were sent home. All right. Other than the mass of animals and the fact that it was a peace offering that all these people were sharing in a meal, that's really what I wanted to pick out of this instance. I want to move now to 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and look at another feast, another rejoicing. <clears throat> A lot has happened between um, 1 Kings 8 and 2 Chronicles 30. Um, And not a lot of good stuff. Um, Solomon has fallen, the kingdom has been split. Uh, Hezekiah here in in 2 Chronicles 30 is is basically reinstituting the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the Passover, that hasn't been recognized for a long time, at least not in the right way. Um, so let's read in 2nd Chronicles chapter 30 beginning in verse 21 2nd Chronicles thirty twenty-one. the sons of Israel present in Jerusalem celebrated the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with great joy and the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day after day with loud instruments to the Lord then Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good insight in the things of the Lord so they ate for the appointed seven days Sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly decided to celebrate the feast another seven days. So they celebrated the seven days with joy, for Hezekiah, king of Judah, had contributed to the assembly one thousand bulls, seven thousand sheep, and the princes had contributed to the assembly one thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep, and a large number of priests consecrated themselves. All the assembly of Judah rejoiced with the priests and the Levites and all the assembly that came from Israel, both the sojourners who came from the land of Israel and those living in Judah. So there was great joy in Jerusalem because there was nothing like this in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So it's it's, it's another rejoicing. It's another massive feast. It's nothing like the dedication of the temple, right? You can just compare the numbers of the animals. 22,000 oxen, uh, versus 2,000 bulls right here for Hezekiah 120,000 sheep at the dedication of the temple compared to 17,000 sheep here um, you could say that's indicative of the wealth uh, of Hezekiah versus the wealth of Solomon and that's probably true but it's, I think it's more indicative of just the lack of the number of people um, that need to be fed right? you, you saw again in, in verse um, 22 these are peace offerings as well right the the typically the massive amounts of animals are peace offerings because they're meals for the, for the for the people right uh, the priests could eat some of the other offerings uh, the whole burnt offerings no one could eat those were ho- those were burnt holy to the lord we read in the last one in first kings 8 the fat even of the peace offerings the people couldn't eat even of the peace offerings the fat had to be taken out and burnt separately to god that was that was for him and they had so much fat at the dedication of the temple that they had to had to consecrate another area of the court they're like the altar that was built wasn't big enough to burn all the the right the grain every offering that was given had to have a grain offering with it every offering that was given you had to take the fat out of the animal and go burn it well they didn't have room on the altar of god to burn those things so you had to consecrate another area to burn that right that's that's what's going on there if you get over the grossness of all the animal death and fat and all that stuff, right, and just think about the fact that these people are spending two weeks all together sharing meals with each other and praising God because he blessed them with these things. In the case of Solomon, it was the temple. In the case of Hezekiah, it's reinstitution of what God wants, the things that he desires for his people. Um, you might think, well, okay, you know, we're supposed to do this for seven days. They got together. They had the feast for seven days. They're like, all right, let's go, and we got work to do. You know, i got a field. i got a house. Well, in both cases, right, the one we read in First Kings 8. And then here, they decided seven days wasn't enough. We're going to stay another seven days together eating these meals with these peace offerings, glorifying God. One more I want to look at in Nehemiah chapter eight. Oh, and the sad thing you notice was at the end, right? It says that that there was had not been such a Passover in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon. So I, you know, I I tried sometimes to add the math and figure out how far it was from king to king or whatever. But you know, Hezekiah was was basically king of Judah. Um, when uh, Israel was taken into captivity. So, between Solomon and and that happening was a little over 200 years. (coughs) So maybe, you know, some people who were devout, you know, they kept the Passover, right? Um, But Jerusalem hadn't seen anything like what Hezekiah did (coughs) for over 200 years. So that's a little sad, right? but still it happened, right? It was a time of rejoicing. Now let's look at Nehemiah 8. This is, this is the return from captivity, uh, or not the return, but after the return from captivity. So again, a, a lot's happened between Second Chronicles 30 and Nehemiah 8. Judah has fallen, just like Israel fell. Take, been taken into captivity. And a remnant has returned. <coughs> Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Then on the second day, the heads of the fathers' households of all the people, the priests, the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe, that they might gain insight into the words of the law. They found, written in the law, how the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills, bring olive branches, wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was great rejoicing. He read from the book of the law of God daily, from the first day to the last. And they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. so as I was reading through these and, and looking at these in scripture and in, in the context of where they were found one of the questions that came to my mind was why must God's people so rarely experience joy in obedience and, that, and it was a real question of myself more than, more than these people because who, who's to say that there, there weren't people who were experiencing joy you know, in obedience continuously but for me, right? When I think of obedience, right? I, I mean, imagine what these people had done. In, in the case of Hezekiah, whoever, right? They're they're reading the law. In the case of Ezra, they're they're reading the law and they're discovering new things that they need to obey. Well, to me, right, it feels like a burden. Oh, there's more stuff I got to do. You mean it's got to be seven days? Why can't it just be one day? Right? the the, the flesh The flesh says, "Hey." This is, this is something that's been bound on you, right? But in all of these cases, I mean, you read it, the people were joyful. They were rejoicing when in that God's commands were either being carried out in the case of the temple, right? Or being renewed and understood and found and discovered and then obeyed in the case of the other two cases. Why, do, why does that seem so rare either in the scripture or why does it seem rare for me? right that's a question I have to ask myself for joy and obedience to be linked so closely is that just how God designed it that it's a rare rare occasion I don't think so Um, I think that kind of rejoicing that we read in these is what God expected to happen at least three times a year based on the law three times a year the men of Israel should gather themselves to me right the Passover at the first of the year, the in of the first fruits, the beginning of the harvest, and the Feast of Booths, it later became called the Feast of Booths, at the end of the harvest, at the end of the year, right? So what, what, what they were doing in the case here is they were, they were having this feast and they said, oh, we, we just read some more about this feast. We're supposed to be living in booths while we have this feast. So they went out and they were happy to do this. It was a joy for them to do this. Why does it seem so rare? Because when you read the Old Testament, you don't get a lot of joy. <laughs> I mean, just sit down and read it, right? It takes, well, James probably knows the exact number, but it takes around 58, 59, 60 hours to read the whole Old Testament. And it takes, you know, 15, 20, to read the New, something like that. So you sit down and you spend, 50, you know, 60 hours reading the Old Testament. You don't come to the end of it feeling real great. You just don't. Like you're worn out at the disobedience and the patience God has to show people who don't love Him. But you have you have sparks like this in the midst of it. So why is that? And how, how do these things translate to us today? Do you feel like that sometimes? If you look look back, right, not at your week, but like look back at your life as a Christian does it feel like this yeah there's one or two bright spots I hope not for your sake but for me there that's exactly how it feels and I'm not saying that is a good thing I'm saying that's a bad thing That shouldn't be that way right but I've, I've fallen into that trap of the rejoicing in obedience to God okay baptism I obeyed him I was rejoicing right well now I've got to find another one (laughs) you see what I mean right instead of it being a constant thing Well, let's look in in, uh, just a couple verses in the New Testament to see how we should be approaching this let's look in Philippians We'll look at a couple verses in Philippians 3 and Philippians 4 is it even an expectation that we should rejoice I mean we've been forgiven of our sins and we're living in a fallen world and there's pain all around us and maybe just living is supposed to be a burden right I mean maybe that's but well in Philippians Paul doesn't seem to think that Philippians 3 verse 1 he says finally even though in characteristic Paul fashion he's not really ending the letter um, Philippians 3.1 finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me and it is a safeguard to you Philippians 4.4 4, he does write the same thing again Philippians 4.4 4, rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice if you want to turn over you can but this verse is only two words long 1 Thessalonians 5.16 rejoice always okay so we know the expectation is not that rejoicing or joy should be well in the case of the sons of Israel 200 years apart it shouldn't be something that we have a hard time finding in our memory in fact it's something that we should be living in rejoicing always I want to present a picture now from a couple verses I think will help us. Well, it will help it helps me. Understand how that works. Let's look in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I want to think about this sacrifice. One thing you read one thing we read in these feasts and in all these events is there's a lot of sacrificing going on, right? Animal sacrifices is what I mean, right? Peace offerings, a lot of animal sacrifices. Romans 12, 1. You know, the first 11 chapters of Romans are heavy. I mean, we're talking theological heavy, deep stuff. Twelve one starts the conclusion, therefore, because of all this deep, heavy stuff I just told you that you're going to have to swim through for the rest of your life. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship or reasonable service present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice well I thought Jesus was the sacrifice he was he was the sacrifice that like I said earlier closed the gap (coughs) there's no way for me to go sit down and have a meal with God have a relationship with him because of my sins So what's the sacrifice that closes the gap? That atones for all of that? What's the the sin offering? What's the burnt offering? What's the guilt offering? Well, that was Jesus. Jesus closed the gap. I would submit to you that now we're the peace offering. We're the peace sacrifice. Daily. Right? Like... Our life, what we live out in our life, is something that we're offering to God and something we're participating in with Him. And that's a joyful thing. That's something that we should rejoice over, that God wants my life to be something that He participates in. Right? Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. It's something for Him to accept. Right? But we're not we're not the sin offering. We're not the burnt offering. That's that, All that's been taken care of. The relationship has been established. And the only sacrifice that's left is the peace offering. The one, the participatory one. The one we participate in. The sacrifice of ourselves is to God. He permits us to share in the benefit. And here's the other thing. I would suggest to you that also He permits us to send portions to those without. Did you notice that in... The, in in, in the readings, let, let me see which one it was. It was Nehemiah, verse 12. Nehemiah 8, verse 12. All the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions. Right? We'll look at the command back in verse 10. He said to them, Go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. Well, okay, so if this picture is going to be legit, right? And I'm not saying that I'm dogmatically correct, but I'm saying this is something that helps me. If I'm going to picture myself as the peace offering, well, okay, yeah, I'm benefiting from that, but I need to send portions to people who are without. I need to be a benefit. My life daily, the sacrifice that I make to God daily, needs to be a benefit to other people. I know I haven't gotten to the rejoicing part yet, <laughs> because I'm right there with you, if you're well, if you're there with me, it feels like a burden still, like okay, you're telling me now you're telling me I got to be a sacrifice. this is not getting better, Richard like you need to just shut up while you're hit because I'm not rejoicing yet right but i I'm working my way there, we're almost there. It's not much longer, okay my 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 suggestion to you. Is that that peace offering is a daily thing that the Passover is daily I don't mean like Jesus is offering himself continually Hebrews tells us he's not but the fact that we're being passed over because we walk in faith is daily I know you guys have heard me say this but I'm gonna say it again because I think it's important and even in this context For you to say you have no sin to be passed over in this moment means that you're prepared to stand before God and tell him that you're perfect (laughs) I'm not prepared to do that which means there's something I don't understand just right there's something I don't think about just right there's something I don't do or say that's just right there's things he's passing over I guarantee you there's things he's passing over. Well, that's happening continually because I walk in the light, 1 John chapter 1. It's not because of me. It's because of the offering that's been made. right? So the Passover is happening all the time. The peace offering is happening all the time. It's not happening once a year three times a year. It's not happening once every 200 years. It's we're, we're, we're living in it. All right, I want to look at, at Micah chapter 4. We're not going to read this, but it's another part of this picture of rejoicing that I think. Our rejoicing is commanded. It's expected. We can read in Paul. But our rejoicing was prophesied. And that's what Micah 4 was about. The coming kingdom was going to be a time of peace. And I want to look specifically at the and I deleted the verses out of here, so that's great. Um... Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Probably around verse 4 or 5, somewhere in there? Four. There you go. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Again, I'm going to suggest to you guys that we are that particular vine. We're not the vine in the sense that Jesus is the vine, right? But the Holy Spirit is intent on bearing fruit in us. So daily, you are that vine or that fig tree. Do you feel the the rest of that? Do you feel the peace that comes with that? The fact that it's not you bearing the fruit, it's not something that you planted, it's something that He planted. It's something that He's tending, He's pruning. I tend to look for events that I can rejoice about. And like I said earlier, for me... That event would be somebody not doing what they ought to do. They start doing what they ought to do, and I'm going to be happy. It's the wrong way to go about it. I'm living, I'm living the event right now. As a Christian, I'm living the event for which I should be rejoicing right now. I am the garden that was planted. I am what's bearing fruit. Not of my own. He's doing it through me. I am the peace offering. I am sharing in this meal with God on a daily basis. And here's where I think, for me anyway, the rejoicing comes in. I can't see that physically. But He can see it spiritually. I mean, for for God to look at us, right, in, in His glasses of, His his lenses of spirit, right? I'm not saying he can't see us fleshly, but I'm saying if if we can imagine what we look like in in the spiritual realm, it's as real as what we're looking at today, right? It's more real. What does he see when I bear fruit? What does that look like in the spiritual realm? I think it's I think it looks awesome. Because it's a product of the work of the Holy Spirit. What does he see when, when I offer myself as a sacrifice on a daily basis? What does that look like? Each, each instance throughout the day, what does it look like for him from a spiritual perspective? I think it looks like something that I can rejoice over. I don't think we're going to see, well, I know we're not going to see the true results of it until he comes. We don't know what we will be like, but when he, when he comes, then we know because we'll be like Him. Have you thought about that? We're actually going to not just appear like Him. It doesn't say that. We will be, we'll exist like Him. And we just don't see it. These are things, for me, okay, to rejoice over and live in a constant state of rejoicing regardless of Joe over here doing what he ought to do has no bearing on whether or not I'm going to produce fruit. In fact, maybe he's the cause that I produce fruit because I learned patience. Or I get to show patience. Right? I have an opportunity to be patient. What does that look like to God? Right? when he looks down he sees impatient Richard transform into patient Richard these are things I think we should think about on a daily basis because it's happening in the spiritual world on a daily basis and in faster than daily it's happening on a decision basis as we make choices, as we make decisions we are either participating in that as that peace offering that sacrifice that meal with God? Or we're just sitting on the sideline saying, well, yeah. I mean, can you, like, think about these, 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 these meals. All of these. Think about, you know, fleshly Richard, right? The non-Christian Richard. Sitting out there moping around like, what are you guys so happy about? No, I don't want any of your food. Don't offer me that. I don't want any of that. Have you looked around? What, are, what have you got to be happy about? I mean, I could come up with all kinds of reasons, right? The problem is I do that now as a Christian. And that's that's a real problem. Instead, the Christian, Richard, should be, and I said we weren't going to talk about ought, but I'm going to talk about what I ought to do, okay? Should be, hey, I'm going to heaven and God is making me more perfect right in this moment than I was yesterday I'm, I'm closer to the image of his son today than I was yesterday it has nothing to do with my skill my deserving it, my ability it just has to do with whether I submit and if I submit he works he does the work, that's something to rejoice over and every decision I make is another way, right? To make him joyful and to participate in that joy. So here's, here's that's, that's all the, the passages, that's all the points I wanted to make. Here's, here's my, I guess, suggestion or application. If you can't find something to be joyful, over or rejoice about. Uh, find some songs to sing. It's hymns, right? And sing and just sing that hymn. I don't mean mindlessly, right? But sing it. And maybe there's a picture or an image in there of heaven or what Jesus did for you or His death on the cross. Something that reminds you, right? Do something to think about eternity. And how short your life here is. Right. That is another point I wanted to make. Our opportunity to participate in this peace offering is so short. Like when I was seven, life was forever. I'm forty one, life is not forever. I mean I feel like I've wasted several decades that I could have been participating in this, like fully engaged and happy that I'm participating in it that right so wherever you're at now right grab onto it and say whatever I have left is going to be a rejoicing I'm going to participate in this fully with God if you need any help doing that if you're not in a relationship with God that even permits that right well that's the first step you have to have that gap closed with Jesus' blood. We're going to sing a song. Uh, the point of the song is to give you time to think about these things, to think about your place before God and the salvation that he offers through his Son. Let's, let's stand and sing.